It is Free Talk Live, and you can join us here. You can bring up absolutely anything that you want. And the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Phones are open. Uh, That's what we do here on Free Talk Live. Always interesting things in the news as well, including... What Bank of America is calling a, what was the term that they used? I think it was... Scam? <laughs> Which scam is Bank of America putting on now? They're calling a recession, or calling for a recession shock, or predicting rather, a recession shock. I want to talk about that. Oh, oh, okay. That's not what I thought you were going to say. Uh, I thought you were going to talk about the... Uh, California people who got um, ripped off, uh, they got money taken out of their bank accounts, and I believe it was Bank of America basically told really? them to go sound, go pound sand. Oh, that's not a surprise. So they're, uh, they're now suing Bank of America. Really? Yeah, and there, there were enough of them, I guess, that they could club together and get represented. Wow. It, it wouldn't be the first time. Uh, I believe uh, Bank of America also had a scam going on where they were taking money years ago uh, from from people, basically. They, they, they were doing it through uh, what they were tr- calling fees for subscription services that people didn't sign up for. Oh, nice. Uh, it wasn't like... I hate it when that happened. It wasn't just a new fee. It was a new fee they signed you up for. So, and when people um, asked not to, you know, to unsubscribe you know they they do they do things like they say they do it and then they wouldn't do it and they just keep charging and then yeah they basically just it seems like some banks just hit people with fees just to see if they'll put up with it and like let's just let's hit you know 25 percent of our customers this month with a fee and see what percentage of them calls to complain about it we'll drop Mm -hmm. the fee if they call to complain about it but the rest of them they won't notice and i I swear they do that stuff they do yeah uh, but anyway, so here's the story from Reuters, uh, and then we can talk more about inflation and what uh, people are doing in response to that. They say the macroeconomic picture is deteriorating fast and could push the U.S. economy into recession as the Federal Reserve tightens its monetary policy to tame surging inflation. That's not what's going to tame inflation, just for the record. <laughs> Changing in for interest rates isn't going to affect inflation. Only stopping printing money would affect inflation. Well, indirectly, though, interest rates are related to that because in order to fix a low interest rate, mm-hmm. okay, given supply and demand, if there's more demand for loans than that at that interest rate than would avail- be available, then they have to stand ready to make those loans themselves directly or indirectly, and that's when they print money. True. When people do take out a loan, they are making money from from thin air. Uh, yeah, but also a lot of times uh, the Federal Reserve has has issued that money. So sometimes it's mm-hmm. sometimes they're creating it th- uh, out of thin air through fractional reserve. Right. But sometimes they're creating it out of uh, out of thin air by basically selling uh, selling Treasury bonds to the Fed. Ah, see, I didn't know about that. Um, that's so the the local banks. Uh, wait, who you're saying the Federal Reserve is is selling Treasury bonds? Um, I'm trying to think exactly. I thought they buy. Aren't they the bond buyer of last resort? They do. They do buy. Uh, they do buy a lot of a lot of bonds. But but basically, I'm 
now now that I think of it, I'm not certain of the mechanism. Mm-hmm. But basically, in order to to lower interest rates, they have somehow they have to make sure that somebody's willing to make a, make a loan at that rate. Mm-hmm. Because if nobody if 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 uh, nobody's willing to do that then their statement that interest rates are lower now are, is, is ineffective. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so somehow that money has to come from somewhere. And my understanding is it's generally created. If you want to weigh in here, you can join us at 603-283-6160. Well, as I understand, and I don't know anything about like the Federal Reserve supplying money for loans. I know they loan money to banks, but I don't know how all the, the ins and the outs of that works or they somehow have some arrangement with them but as, from what i understand when you'd go to the bank and get a car loan or a house loan or something like that people think that that's money coming out of the bank's vault but no. it's actually not no it's coming i believe it's coming mm-hmm. from the federal reserve the federal reserve like loans the bank's money to then loan out money or something like that i thought they just created from thin air yeah it, it's created by the federal reserve if i'm not mistaken to then loan to banks okay. that then loan out that money to you Right, but it has nothing to do with customer deposits no. being in the vault. Right, yeah. that's the yeah. misconception. That's what pe- we teach kids, but that's not actually right. correct. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was saying, but I think it's slightly more complex than that. I don't, well, I don't that's remember the layman, exactly that's the layman how layman explanation. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We're not, none of us are bankers here. Uh, yeah. Uh, nor do we want to be. Yeah. I think I'd, you have the most experience, actually, uh, nobody in the banking sector. I've worked for two banks. I worked for... Uh, I think it was Bank of America actually when you, I was a think? teenager. Wow. Um I that worked for really them. Long time ago. Uh thanks. <laughs> um, the but yeah, I I worked there in their uh I was doing data entry for them and I was in their check stops uh department. So hmm. basically they would call me on the phone and say, Yeah, you need to put a type twelve hard hold on this account. Jeez, what kind of computers which, were they using back then? Were those the, green screens. They did okay they did have uh, green monochrome. Okay. Yeah, yeah, monochrome. <laughs> monochrome and green. Yeah. But yeah. the uh Well you either got yellow or green, right? Yeah. Were there any other versions of that? White was the most common monochrome. Oh, okay. All right. Uh amber and, and green came later because hmm. it was supposed to be easier on the eyes. I only gotcha. remember the green screen, so wow. a little bit younger, but not that much probably. Yeah, yeah I remember going into one of the banks uh in Keene and they actually had uh they actually had a window so they had like a window system or something that they were working on, but oh, there was a yes. little window <laughs> yep, within yep, the yep, system yep. Mm-hmm. of a green screen monochrome yeah. system that they were using to do all the data entry or whatever you for know, the account you know creation the crazy, process. Actually, it's really funny. You know the crazy thing about the banking? I don't I don't know that much, but I know a little bit about the back end because uh, I knew somebody who worked in that sector writing like coding for banks and things and insurance companies. Um, but What's interesting is these banks, when they all merge, they all have different systems. And so you have like a single bank and they've got 200 uh, different computing systems that are hobbled together. Yeah. Like with, they're trying to keep them all running yeah, and compatible oh, somehow. Keep them all running. And quite frequently, um, this happened when I worked for GTE Data Systems. And I think some of the banks are doing this as well. They're actually screen scraping the green screens. Really? I wouldn't so, be surprised. Um, yeah, so basically what, what that what that means is a computer program is looking at the output 
of oh the green God. screen yep. formatted on the screen. And the reason is because the user interface of these systems is more similar than the back end. Mm. So it's easier using screen scraping to introduce more new systems yeah. in than it is to get I, the back ends to talk to God. each other. I've, I've actually seen code that does this too. Um, oh that will basically, it's exactly what you're talking about, scraping. And I'm like, what, what, what is it doing? Like, why is it doing this? This is like, it's not connecting to a database. And then it's like, and then you start thinking about it. And it's like, well, what is a database? And it's in, on the on this type of error system, it's basically a file. <laughs> so it's just a simple text file. That's all it is. So, so uh, you know, the, as, at least as far as technology is concerned, the banks suck. There's no doubt about it. Oh yeah. But at least they have some kind of a profit incentive to keep their systems running and somewhat modern. I saw a story about the IRS. <laughs> The other day. Oh, yeah. That was like a 40-year retrospective on them trying to upgrade their like mainframe or whatever. They've got some old, like, just seriously ancient system that has they have failed and failed and failed and spent millions god knows how many hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars yeah. on this and it has literally been since like the early 80s or the 70s but, yep. or something they've since they've been trying to upgrade this thing and it is still do you in know, place you know what's funny do you know wow. where the government gets its parts for these old systems through thinkpenguin.com no no well actually some some actually but no ebay they're literally going to ebay for parts from like the windows 3.1 wow. era in order to keep these systems going get a punch card reader off of ebay or something like that they're really it's like insane like the article was so long i really wanted to share it but it was just it was just too exhaustive the history mm. of them trying to keep this system alive and failing again and again to somehow modernize it uh, there's more coming up here 603-283-6160 free talk live It's Free Talk Live. The phones are open. You can join us here. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Joining you in the studio tonight, you've got Ian and Chris. And nobody. You can join us online. Head over to freetalklive.com and enjoy the features waiting for you there. we got a lot of stuff at freetalklive.com, including our social media platform, which is running Mastodon. That means it's open source. It is self-hosted. It's federated, so you can connect with other Mastodon users all across the Fediverse, as they call it. You can go to social.freetalklive.com to get signed up there. And it's free, of course. That's social.freetalklive.com. We were going to get into the Bank of America story, but we ended up getting sidetracked talking about just the slow awful computer systems that are backing up these tech or not tech giants but these banking giants uh and that led me to talk about the irs story and i just want to give credit uh where credit's due the story i was referring to that is way too long for on air is atr.org that's the americans for tax reform it's entitled 40 years of failure irs unable to fix computer system and this was uh, published in early March of this year. And what it is is just this retrospective summary, basically, going as far back as 1982, documenting failure after failure of attempts. 
so and then and we're talking about billions of dollars that have been spent over these many decades now at this point as the irs has been attempting to pull, <laughs> to pull off an upgrade oh. to their computer systems wow uh 19 19- I, I, I want them to fail i want to see them all fail and collapse so we, we can just be done with it already like I mean, it would be the best for everybody. That would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, headline from 1997. IRS admits its $4 billion modernizing is a failure. Official says computers don't work. Agency wants to contract out tax returns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, man. Uh, headline from 1998. Moving a mountain of paper taxes. According to the IRS, sloppy books cost IRS millions in 1999. It just goes on and on and on. Uh, Year 2000, the IRS, the fix isn't in. IRS is still struggling to modernize its ancient software. (laughs) I wonder if they got around to fixing the Y2K problem yet. (laughs) (laughs) No easy IT fix for the IRS from 2004. IRS trudges on with aging computers in 2008 after over $5 billion spent at that point. And just, like I said, it goes on. The most recent one they have here is from FCW.com. Headline, a 60-year-old IRS IT system won't finish modernizing until 2030. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if they're lucky. (laughs) And, of course, it'll be 70 years old by that time. The uh, IRS completed most of its planned IT modernization activities for the last two fiscal years on schedule and within cost, they claim. But one of its efforts, intended as a replacement for a 60-year-old system, is now on track to replace core functions only. (laughs) And it may not be complete until 2030. That's according to a Government Accountability Office report, which reviewed five IRS IT investments and found they met most performance goals for fiscal year 2019 and 2020, the 60-year-old system slated for replacement is called the Individual Master File. It's the key source for individual tax data, and a modernized system would provide the infrastructure needed for real-time digital taxpayer interactions, rapid access to data, and agile response to legislative changes, according to the GAO report. The program intended to modernize it, called Customer Account Data Engine 2, or CADE 2, has seen many delays and cost changes since the IRS first started developing it in 2009, according to the GAO. A key milestone for replacing selected functions had been pushed back by nine years from 2014 to 2023. Can you imagine how much money these contractors are making? By makes the way, makes me feel about. Oh, it makes man. me feel good about the progress I've made on our, uh, you know, my business Your website. <laughs> it's like, oh wow, the uh, 2004 release that we just upgraded to is uh, actually really new by comparison. The Cade hmm. program had lower reported costs than anticipated for 2020 and met most performance goals for the last two years, but GAO called its long-term performance and outlook troubling. The modernized system isn't scheduled to be finished until 2030. Development costs are now four times higher than officially planned. And Cade 2 is also now expected to replace only core components of the old program, which again is 60 years old, as opposed to the entire system. So it's going to take them the rest of the decade, they say. Of course, it's been going on for decades to only do the core functions. You know, I I think somebody took... 
Uh, and you know it's going to fail yeah, and they're going to push it back. Somebody took the, uh, is it philosophy or quote, uh, you know, if it, if, it, if, it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it a little too far. <laughs> the current system is one of the oldest in the federal government. But notice they say it's one, one of, of the oldest. Yeah. <laughs> Said the GAO with software written in legacy computer languages, including COBOL, that are no longer part of core computer science curricula. That if means you want to make $200,000, go learn, go learn it. At least. They're actually paying that. that. They tried to make me take COBOL to get my uh, my degree, and it was the first year they offered a class in C++, and I talked them into letting me take C++ instead. Wise man. The specialized mm. workers needed to support the legacy IRS systems are expensive and increasingly difficult to find. The point they're making here is kids that are graduating from college with computer science degrees, they're not learning a, a line of COBOL. They're, they're not no What are they it. teaching these kids in school today? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's just as well. COBOL is is a language in which... It's ancient, um, right? This well, is it's old. an ancient language, and it's very structured mm -hmm. to the point where it's said that it takes more moral lines of COBOL to do a thing than it would take to actually do it in assembly language <laughs> where you're get, where, and in assembly language and yeah whatever uh, well I, in it's you you use op codes yeah. in assembly language but it's uh but basically uh lines in assembly language have a one-to-one -one chorus correspondence with actual processor instructions yeah all, all i remember uh from the 90s is in order to make cobol work i knew somebody who had to write assembly language code to like make it actually work and um wow. yeah it's it's uh it's and i think the best i i don't know uh I, i'm not i don't want to say they're the same but they're obviously not but if, if for free people who people who have taken a programming language you know probably I don't know about recently, but, you know, within the last probably 40 years, they they, they probably learned some sort of basic. Mm -hmm. It's like that. Yeah. It's like that, basically. Something to that effect. But the people they have to hire to maintain this existing system, they must be old, right? Like they're if, over 70. Yeah. If you know COBOL. <laughs> yeah. Probably... Well, a lot of people learned COBOL due to the Y2K mm -hmm. issue. They uh, they were actually running camps where wow. they would take programmers who who didn't know COBOL, but they knew other languages, and be like, "Yeah, come come here, and we'll teach you COBOL in three weeks." Wow! I I know somebody who actually learned it recently, within the last decade, and that didn't work out. And it appears to be a pattern. <laughs> it didn't work out. Young what people, mean? for whatever can't reason, get it? can't it's understand it. It's a painful it, language to use from everything. And there, it actually gets worse because a lot of this code was written by uh, outsiders that mm. intentionally uh, they wanted to have the support conscious continuum so they wrote it in such a way that nobody else could understand it God. So, it. more yes. coming up you can join us here this is free talk live we'll talk about the recession Looking for a great real estate investment? Consider New Hampshire, which is ground zero for the Liberty Movement. Your first call should be to Mark Warden from Porcupine Real Estate. He's more than just a real estate agent. He's your New Hampshire concierge. Where are the best places to live? Do you want farm, city, the burbs, or forest? Do you want a duplex or multifamily building so that renters pay your mortgage? There are homes in all price ranges in New Hampshire, and Mark can help with financing, too. Invest in Liberty and property. Mark Warden can help. PorcupineRealEstate.com It's Free Talk Live, and you can join us here. Bring up 
whatever you want. The number is 603-283-6160. Here tonight, it's Ian and Chris. And nobody. 603-283-6160. What is a uh, recession shock? A major bank is warning people that there is a recession shock coming. We'll talk about it. Uh, your calls and thoughts are welcome. We're going to go to them. But first, I do want to tell you about Bitcoin.com. If you're ready to learn about cryptocurrency like Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, you ought to get over to Bitcoin.com. They can help you with that. Just click Get Started at the top of the page. You'll find some introductory videos that you can learn some of the basics, like why is decentralization important? What's the blockchain? Uh, things like this you'll learn over at Get Started, the section of Bitcoin.com. And there's other, other things, a variety of different things you can do with Bitcoin.com, including buy your very first cryptocurrency through Bitcoin.com. They've got that. Uh, also, they've got a great news site that'll keep you up to date on what's going on in the world of crypto. Just go to news.bitcoin.com. That's news.bitcoin.com. We go to Stephen in Georgia. Stephen, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Sorry about that, Stephen. I've got you now. Go ahead. Say, say that again. Hey, guys. So a couple of weeks ago, y'all were talking about uh, New Hampshire wanting to exit the United States. Um, and I think that's great. I think you should. But Ian, yes. you posed a very good question on whether or not any state left for votes, like votes on like popular votes, essentially. Yeah. A lot and of the southern all- states did have a vote of their legislature, uh, as I understand it, but I'm not sure about the uh, how many of them had a popular vote. So seven states that left uh, to create the Confederate States of America all left by legislative vote. Hmm. However, there's one state that left the Confederacy on popular vote. Oh. Um, and that would... That would be eight counties in Virginia um, left. Now, here's where things get weird. Um, they, each county left based on popularity votes from the citizenry. Um, mind you, when we say of the citizenry at the time, we mean white male. Um, so, Just to clarify, you're saying these Virginian counties were leaving the Confederacy. Were they joining, rejoining the Union or were they seceding into their own country? So here's where didn't they become weird. West Virginia? They did become West Virginia. Here's where things get weird. They all left based on popular vote, but then they had essentially like city councils, county representatives, that sort of deal that formed the state of West Virginia hmm. after the fact, with no input of the citizenry, made the state of West Virginia, and then joined the union. Uh. Wow. There were there were three counties or four counties that left originally, and the four counties that left originally from Virginia all left on popular vote hmm. of the citizenry, um, and then the other counties left on legislative vote. So then, to your knowledge, as far as leaving the union is concerned, at least during the Civil War, there was not a single popular vote to do that. So I actually live. Um, not too far from the Chickamauga Battlefield, um, which is one of the largest battles in the Civil War. So I went and talked to the people there and actually spoke to a guy that's got a doctorate in Civil War history. Mm-hmm. Um, and he showed me the vote in all seven states that left. Georgia, South Carolina, Texas, Alabama, Virginia, 
two more. They all left. They all left um, on legislative vote somewhere between um, late November and early February, um, and then mid-February they formed the CSA, the Confederate States of America. Okay. Gotcha. Wow. So therefore, there has not yet been, according to you at least, a vote to secede from the United States of the people of any state. Um, well, they haven't left the United States technically, but I would count the three counties leaving. The, and the, the popular vote never came up about whether, and this was a question, this was a conversation we had, the popular vote never came up um about hey we've left first of all do we want to form together like do these counties want to recognize each other become one entity and does that one entity want to join the usa Mm -hmm. that that conversation never took place amongst the citizens just the legislature yeah it was just the elites Um, who made that decision but but you were saying they were leaving the confederate states they weren't leaving the united states well, at the time, they were leaving the state of Virginia. Which was a member of the, the Confederates. Not, not at the time, no. No. Oh, okay. So was Virginia no. the, that's, uh, so Virginia was part of the United States at that time? No. So Virginia leaves the USA, um, and there's a time period that it's just the state of Virginia. It doesn't leave ah, and okay. join the CSA um, because I the follow. CSA is not formed. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. But mm-hmm. just to clarify, so you're saying that no state has had a popular vote that you're aware of to leave the United States? Not to leave the United States, okay. no. Okay, okay. Uh, so if New Hampshire, or when New Hampshire actually finally does that, it, it truly will be the first time in the, in the yeah. U.S. history. Very cool. Thanks, uh, Stephen, for the call tonight. I appreciate your uh, your knowledge there on the topic. Uh, the number, if you want to join us, 603-283-6160. Now, it's going to take some time. We did have the uh, what they call CACR 32 here in New Hampshire. That was the, the very first ever proposal to allow the people of, of one state to vote on uh, independence. If, if it had passed the yeah. state house and if it had passed the state senate by 60% margin, then it would have gone on the ballot this year, and the people of New Hampshire, the voters, would have had a chance to vote as to whether or not to say a peaceful goodbye to the I, United States. I'm still surprised at how much support there was, and I think a lot of the legislature was actually surprised at how much support there was, uh, given the— From uh, whom? The people? Or uh, the legislature the, members? Some of the members. Uh, mm-hmm. Thirteen I of think them were, were surprised at how much support there was. Uh, and I kind of was surprised at how much support there was because it's, you know, if you look at Texas, I think they had one legislature that was willing to do something. And Well, no, there was one person, I think, that filed a bill in Texas. I don't yeah. know if he had any support. I, su- I suspect it's, there were some who supported him on that. It's a risky kind of thing to do, a maneuver, yeah. right? And and so for one person to do it in Texas, where they supposedly have a ton of support, mm. by comparison, the fact that we had 13, well, we had, we had se- about seven, seven or eight. sponsor it, yeah. and then another six came on and, right, and voted right. for it. Actually, so. I think one of the sponsors changed his mind and voted against it, so it might yeah. have been another seven uh, that voted for it. But either way, 13 voted for it, 323 against so it definitely was crushed at this point, but a lot of the people who were are probably personally quietly in favor of secession, who did not vote for this bill, 
they are afraid of what people think. They're Absolutely. afraid of, of losing their reelection. And that's why I'm very interested to see what happens this year as the Foundation for New Hampshire Independence apparently has somebody on the hook who's willing to give them $50,000 to run a nationwide poll. Well, not all of the, not the entire nation, but like to poll eight states worth of people, wherever the, the supposed best states are for secession right now. So Texas, you know, Hawaii, Alaska, maybe Vermont, uh, Florida. I don't know what other ones, but uh, certainly New Hampshire, obviously. But the idea is to pull the people of the, the most seceding likelihood states and find out what they think about some pretty principled sounding questions. So as I understand it, the Foundation for New Hampshire Independence is leading this survey. They're the ones who are basically going to be sort of hiring the polling firm. And so right now they're going to have a board meeting that's going to decide what the questions should be on this poll. And that will be the first time we have seen specific results from the people of New Hampshire on on questions that we would ask because the people that run the foundation for new hampshire independence are freedom lovers so it's going to be the first real serious poll about this and i think that's going to open a lot of people's eyes yeah i i I think the word on the street is pretty positive overall um i think the legislatures are you know they're afraid but uh it's because i don't think they understand how much support there actually is already yeah and i hope that they are pleasantly surprised by the results of this poll uh, we'll see. Time yep. will tell. The number is 603-283-6160. Phones are open here. Coming up, a recession shock is coming, says one major bank in predictions for what's on the way. You can join us here as well. It is Free Talk Live. Yeah! It's Free Talk Live, and you can bring up whatever you want to talk about. The number is 603-283-6160. They say a recession shock is coming. What does that mean? We can talk about that on the way here. You can share your thoughts with us. It's Ian, Chris, and nobody joining you tonight. The number is 603-283-6160. And you can join us online anytime. Head over to freetalklive.com. And you can download archives there. There are uh, many, many archives that go back for a bunch of years. Uh, all of them are free. So head over to freetalklive.com. You can do that there. Let's go to Major Payne calling us in Michigan. You're on Free Talk Live. Major. Hey, guys. Got some late-breaking news for you. I don't know if you've heard or not. Uh, if it's... that... Uh, yeah, go ahead. About, about, about Gretchen Whitmer? We did hear, Remember but we haven't the, uh, said anything about it on the air yet, so why don't you go ahead and break that news, Major? All right. Well, two of them were found not guilty on all charges, and the other two, which one of them was the leader, was uh, a hung jury. And wow. The and these are the guys who are accused be- of planning to kidnap the governor, governess yep, there yep. in Michigan. Yeah, they, they said they had, were going to rig the house with explosives and all kinds of beeswax. Mm-hmm. But uh, the feds were found, you know, hands dirty as, you know, surprise, surprise. Um, yeah, it, yep, it seems yep. to be it seems to be like a fairly common tactic that these, you know, feds will, you know, entrap people and they can't. There's certain things they can't do, but it's, you know, <laughs> but if they do do them, then <laughs> right, the right, only way like, you can and, call them on it is by going to and trial. They, and, and, mm-hmm. and the problem is they also they're trained liars. So like yeah, even are. even if, you know, um, you know, they did entrap somebody, they can just get up on the stand and say they didn't because you know, half the time they don't wear a wire. So there's no they audio, don't record. But we learned you know? we learned during nobody's trial back a decade ago now when you went to trial for selling weed here in Keene when 
because you went to trial, they actually had to put the FBI agent on the stand, Phil Christiana, and he testified under oath that is FBI policy to not record interviews. Yeah, which amazed me. I just yeah. assumed I was being recorded. Nope. You no, know? They, they get away with just little handwritten notes. And That's they can it. put down whatever they want to put down. Yeah, absolutely and, uh, true. And then I, it's I your word versus theirs, which is why you shouldn't talk I, to I, the but, government. Right. I've been railroaded by the system before, and uh, justice only belongs to the rich, which is an unfortunate damn truth. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. Major, thanks for calling in and bringing that up uh, tonight. Definitely appreciate it. I actually do have a story here uh, that Bonnie sent me on this topic from BuzzFeed, uh, BuzzFeedNews.com. Uh, despite the government's extraordinary efforts to muzzle the defense, a jury in Grand Rapids Federal Court on Friday, that's today, acquitted two men on charges, including conspiring to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The jury was unable to reach a verdict of the other two men who'd been charged. As a result, Daniel Harris and Brandon Caserta are now free men, while the federal judge overseeing the case called a mistrial on counts against Adam Fox and Barry Croft. In a written statement after the verdict, the U.S. attorney for the Western District of Michigan said that Fox and Croft, quote, now await retrial, unquote, though he didn't say when that would be. I wonder if somebody's uh, reached out and told the two who were acquitted about the Free State Project yet. Good question. <laughs> I do remember the face of one of them, and I, I thought, gosh, when, when we talked about one of them, I think it might have been this Brandon Caserta. He seemed like he would totally fit in up here. Really? Yeah. He seemed pretty freedom freedom. My understanding is they were boogie boys, not co not conservatives. Yeah, I think oh, you're right about that. Oh, interesting. Yep. The uh, outcome of the trial is a stunning rebuke to the prosecution, which at times appeared to view the case as one of the most prominent domestic terror investigations in a generation <laughs> as a slam dunk. The split verdict calls into question the Justice Department's strategy and beyond that, its entire approach to combating domestic terrorism or extremism. Defense attorneys in the case, along with observers from across the political spectrum, have argued the FBI's efforts to make the case, which involved at least a dozen confidential informants, went beyond legitimate law enforcement and into outright entrapment. It may also leave the two defendants who chose to plead guilty and testify for the government in hopes of leniency, Ty Garvin and Caleb Franks, wondering whether they made the right choice. Mm. Oof. Because you can't yeah, undo that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. This is one of these things where it's like, how many agents do they have to surround you with uh, and tell you different things and support you and encourage you to do certain things before it becomes entrapment, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's like... If you if the reason you're you're doing something is because of government agents around you, is it really are you really the one if you wouldn't have done it anyway? That's what entrapment is. Right. So, yeah, a lot of these guys uh, in not just this case, but in a lot of the quote unquote terrorism cases yeah. that the FBI has so-called busted over the last two decades have been complete setups. Yeah. Ninety nine point nine percent of them. The only one that really wasn't uh, was the uh, boston bombings yeah, and I they mean, didn't these you know, these they, people FBI wasn't setting that one up a lot of these people that they're arresting that we know it, of. it's 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 just a show um it's they're taking people who are vulnerable and creating victims out of them by right. making these arrests mm -hmm. uh one of these guys that took a guilty plea was sentenced to 75 months in prison Yikes. while the other is still awaiting sentencing also up in the air is the fate of eight men charged by Michigan's attorney general. Now, well, I wonder if the other guy can still withdraw his plea. No. I don't, know. I don't think you can. No. Mm. 
three of them face trial in September. Oh, sorry, this is eight men charged by Michigan's attorney general. So the case we're talking about where the non, not guilty and the hung jury, those were federal charges. So there's also state charges uh, for providing material support to terrorism for their role in the alleged plot. Three of them face trial in September, but it may be challenging to convince a jury that they aided a plot, the very existence of which has not even been proven. Caserta's attorney, Mike Hill, said in an interview, quote, the jury clearly saw what the FBI was doing to create this case. They saw it and they didn't like it, unquote. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you look at this case and you look at the case of the Bundy Ranch. You remember that one from yeah. 2013? And Ammon Bundy's actually in jail right now. No, what for? Uh, for contempt of court, oh, he wow. was sentenced to a certain amount of community service and he said that i guess he was running for senate he's running for governor in idaho and and so he counted his campaign stops as community service (laughs) and the judge didn't like that and sentenced him to 10 days in jail Uh, okay 10 days yeah it's not a it's not a big deal that's just going to be campaign fodder you know that's going to get more attention uh so to make their case federal prosecutors presented a mountain of evidence Hundreds of, oh, I guess what I was going to say about the Bundy case. So in that case, they arrested a bunch of people, not during, but after the fact, because that's one of their tactics, like they're doing in uh, Canada. They don't mm-hmm. arrest during the protest. They do right. it later. Uh, so they rounded them up. They charged them. One guy from New Hampshire took a guilty plea and spent five years in federal wow. prison as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them went to trial and were all found not guilty. You know, the wife of the guy who uh, pled guilty was the woman who was um, on the committee that we testified before about secession. Yep. And she she was the one who told Alu Axelman from the Foundation for New Hampshire Independence that she was going to vote in favor of the secession uh, constitutional amendment and then changed her uh, tune and voted against it. Then when she was confronted as to why she voted against it, she apologized and said she was going to do the right thing on the floor of the house and proceeded to not do the right thing on the floor of the house. So I don't know who's, wow. holding, I don't know who's holding what over her head or you know, why she is doing that, but that's what she did. Uh, yeah, you know, you know what's interesting about a lot of these cases is it seems, and and this is the perception is probably not reality, but it seems like there's more people winning. Uh, cases these days in front of at a the jury federal level taking it to trial in front of a jury yeah um than there have been and don't get me wrong there are some cases like you know ross albrick um that was sure. complete show trial he got complete but screwed in uh, but it, it seems like you it's some it's it, i think what it's evidencing is it's not always necessarily the best idea to take the plea deal it is mm-hmm. not a slam dunk for the prosecution yeah. in many of these cases which is a, a pleasant surprise yeah because you know, yeah. because usually you feel like oh even if you think you have a good case, you can't trust a jury to do the right right thing. But I've been surprised Mm. how many times juries have done the right thing. I think the trust in federal law enforcement is at an all-time low Mm. after, you know, they spied on Trump. Um, You you know, I think a lot because, you know, the people who have have been bootlickers for for the security state have been the conservatives, Mm -hmm. and they really didn't like what they got back. Um, hmm. which was, you know, spied on and, uh, 
and in a lot of cases arrested. And the charges for January 6th have been incredibly inflated for people who just, you know, went into a building, milled around. around. I mean, they didn't even burn it down like Black Lives (laughs) Matter would have. Right? Um, yeah, that's how you know it's not a real protest. I mean, it, it's it's almost laughable, you know, like, you know, what the left has been saying, especially in about January 6th. January 6th yeah. It's like, I'm not on the left and I'm not on the right, but it's like, I mean, seriously. The difference I mean, is night and day between yeah. what happened there and what happened in Minneapolis. I mean, it's like, yeah. No, completely different. Uh, the number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. We got a little bit more here about the case in Michigan and now not guilty verdicts for two out of the four guys. The other two uh, hung juries. There's more on the way. You can share your thoughts on Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live's video archives have been on Library for years. Library is an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol, and we're big fans of it here on Free Talk Live. In 2020, Library launched Odyssey, a video sharing website to compete with YouTube, and it's really taking off. Now with over 1 million channels, many of whom are disaffected YouTube creators. During YouTube's crackdown for not towing the government line on COVID, the Free Talk Live YouTube channel started receiving strikes and could be completely taken down at any moment. Thankfully, Odyssey started offering live streaming, so we're now streaming live every night and posting our video archives permanently to Odyssey. You can watch live or anytime on our Odyssey channel by visiting video.freetalklive.com. If you want to go all in, download the desktop app at lbry.com, and then every video archive you watch, you'll help seed and keep it online forever. At minimum, we ask you visit video.freetalklive.com and follow us on Odyssey today, video.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. The phones are open. You can join us here. 603-283-6160 is the number. You can take control of the airwaves. 603-283-6160. Tonight, you've got Ian. And Chris. And nobody. And also, we're going to tell you about this big bank that is predicting... A recession shock is coming to the United States. We'll find out more about that. You can share your thoughts with us. Again, the number is 603-283-6160. We're also discussing the news out of Michigan, where two men in the case regarding the alleged plan to abduct the governor there during COVID, that whole thing that happened, uh, two of them were found not guilty, and the other two were hung jury Two pleaded guilty prior to trial, and so it's been a quite an interesting case so far. We're going to tell you more about that on the way. But first, we go to your calls and thoughts. Sarah is on the line in New Mexico. Sarah, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Um, yes, our, our city is going to do some spring cleaning um, for the next two months. We're going to uh, clean out the city, picking up trash and this cleaning. town needs an enema. <laughs> well, the whole thing is that, the funny thing is that they all want volunteers. They're not going to pay anybody. Hmm. That's the funny thing about it. You know what I mean? They, so I, I guess they, I guess people feel like they care about the city. They're excited enough to work for free. I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a good motive. And then, um, maybe, so, but how is that going to, you know, discourage the trash makers? I mean, well, it it's doesn't. Just, it's, 
it just just picks up the mess. I mean, how are you going to discourage people who litter? They're already $100 plus, or I think in Massachusetts they got a $1,000 fine uh, for littering, and yeah. you know what it does? Nothing. Yeah. I mean, this is... this is Good like, leg for you. It, this is the problem when you try to go after every tiny infraction. You know, people realize that it's not likely that they're, they're going to get caught, and no matter how much you, you make it, it's not going to increase the chances of being caught. So it's not going to reduce... And people also... The other point that I think is important is... People don't think usually when they're committing crimes, mm. they're not thinking about the fact that they could be caught or, you know, that there's something that's going to happen. So increasing the penalty doesn't actually impact, you know, the uh, the, the number of crimes that get committed. Yeah, uh, certainly the case in littering. Yeah. Uh, so, Sarah, well, I, don't I, think, I don't think there's anything you can do about this uh-huh. besides just try to educate people and ask them to and, behave nicely. And you make a good point there with educating people because it's actually one of the ways that... Uh, one of the ways that we've actually, I don't, I shouldn't say we, but sadly, this is, I think it was a government program, but um, government has actually been successful at something in terms of people not littering, like on uh, highways. Um, it used to be the common thing was to throw your trash out the window. Um, and so you dump think your people trash. have gotten better at this? If you look at, yeah, if you look back at like the 30s, 40s, and 50s, mm-hmm. yeah, it was the highways were. Fill, really? filled with litter and um it was I didn't know tv and radio campaigns uh that actually helped uh solve the problem i mean mm-hmm. and huh. you know i remember the crying indian ads which actually the guy who did that was uh russell means who was a libertarian yeah, oh, and, wow. and this was this would have been before our time so mm-hmm. none of us probably remember it but that's my understanding of how i mean because mm-hmm. if you look at the highways today they're certainly not full of litter the crying um, indian ads were in the 70s okay there you go, but Sarah. Yeah, you need I, more I, crying Indians. They'd need to bring back the crying Indian. That's what it. That's what it is. That's it was dead. the crying Indian. That is. The, that was one of the ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that. Yeah, he that, did that, die that, a few years it. back. Yeah. It wasn't crying actually Indian, a real Indian. Is, <laughs> Sarah doesn't what, what know. What was he crying about? He was uh, crying litter. about the litter. yeah litter. He was the, just looking um, around a littered littered uh landscape yeah. and he would have just one tear it was a really effective campaign it and was it worked it wasn't it wasn't like the you know the we or not the weed ads but the um you know smoking this is your brain on drugs ads. yeah the brain on drugs <laughs> it wasn't like that it was actually a decent yeah. ad, uh, you know uh, an advertisement yeah, for, and, uh, hasn't you know, smoky the bear been pretty pretty decent you know all things considered to stop i don't know anybody who's making like, forest fires yeah i don't know anybody who's like oh i'm gonna go start a forest fire yeah. and there and then people and it does get people to think twice yeah thank you sarah what? for the call tonight appreciate it the number 603-283-6160 i gotta agree with you there i mean look we don't on this show we don't love the government or anything like that or coercion but if they're going to spend some money on a campaign then it's better to persuade than right. threaten people right uh i'd much rather see that than having people brought up on criminal right. and charges that's, that's the only point that i'm trying to make yeah. here i'm not yeah. trying to say we should go spending tons of money on these campaigns i'm simply i'm simply saying that if you're going to be you're better off throwing money at those campaigns than throwing money at adding police to the street. Let's put it that way. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and the nice thing about an education campaign is anybody can do one. You don't have to wait for the government. Right. That's right. You right. know, if you've got a hobby horse that you want to ride. Sarah could raise some money. She could put her own campaign together. That would s- require effort on her yeah, part. I true. don't think she does effort. She could, though. If she, if yeah, she, she could. In uh, theory. So back to the story here at BuzzFeedNews.com about the federal prosecutors botching up the job against these guys accused of wanting to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Uh, they thankfully ruined their case in the eyes of the jury. The jury found two of them not guilty and two of them were hung juries, which sadly means those those two hung juries are likely going to be retried. 
Uh, But to make their case, according to BuzzFeed, federal prosecutors presented a mountain of evidence, hundreds of audio clips, videos, and text messages, many of which show the men describing violence they would personally like to inflict on the governor, plus the testimony of a confidential informant, two undercover FBI agents, and two defendants who had pleaded guilty and agreed to cooperate with the investigation. Oh, But the most striking thing about the closely watched 15-day trial might be what the jury never got to see. Both before and during the trial, prosecutors went to extraordinary lengths to exclude evidence and witnesses that might undermine their arguments. Sounds like the Ross Ulbricht trial, Mm. where they did everything they could to uh, tilt the scales against Ross. While winning, uh, winning the right to bring in almost anything favorable to their own side. As a result, defense attorneys were largely reduced to nibbling at the edges of the government's case in hopes of instilling doubt in the jurors' minds and to making claims about official misconduct with vanishingly few pieces of evidence to support them. Over and over during the course of the trial, the prosecution objected to any attempts by defendants to provide context for the often shocking sound bites and text messages shown in court. Objections sustained by a judge who agreed that such material risked confusing the jury. Wait, what? Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a stacked case. How do you, if you don't have context, how are you supposed to interpret what you're hearing? In the prosecution's yeah. favor, apparently. Well, if you don't, you're confused. Yeah. Wow. I mean, this is this is how messed up our system is. And, it is. and it's not like it's, oh, you know, it happens once in a while. That's the thing. Ross Ulbricht was not a freak occurrence. It no. was just the one we paid close attention right. to. Mm-hmm. The result was, from at least the defense's point of view, a stunningly one-sided presentation that left the preponderance of evidence out of court and gave jurors precious little to balance against the Justice Department's claims. Quote, the government controls the evidence, said Fox's attorney in his closing statement Friday. And he continued saying, and they can play whatever they want, unquote. Back in 2020, when the government announced the FBI had broken up a violent plot against a sitting governor, the case seemed like a sure thing. In addition to the men accused of the kidnapping conspiracy in federal court, Michigan's attorney general had charged eight other people for providing material assistance to terrorism for their role in the scheme. Months later, the Justice Department tacked on weapons of mass destruction charges, (laughs) elevating it to a terrorism case as well. But over the next 17 months, a different and more nuanced version of events began to emerge. And of course, this this is always the case, by the way, in federal prosecutions that where people don't take the guilty plea right away. You get to actually find out what their case is eventually. Mm -hmm. And then they actually have to make a case. Which many of the time they're expecting to not even have to bother. Like they they know people are going to yeah, take a guilty plea. You know, you know what's interesting too? I've noticed is that often when they have weak cases, they'll use other means of slandering uh, people in like articles and media and stuff. You mean like when they call Ross Ulbricht a murderer? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but this is this is a common without charging him with that. Right, this is a common tactic, and uh, the FBI actually seems to have some forethought sometimes in doing things that result in un- uh, unproven accusations. Mm-hmm. As in that case has also been done. In in certain other cases uh, here recently. <laughs> Defense attorneys in both the state and federal cases contended in a series of filings and pretrial hearings that their clients may have been loudmouths or even anti-government cranks, but they never actually intended to hurt anyone and couldn't have pulled off a kidnapping to save their own lives. Fox, the lawyers noted, was so hapless, he lived in the basement of a vacuum cleaner store and was forced to go to the Mexican restaurant next door when he needed to use the bathroom. Croft, for his part, ran it about shooting down airships, cutting down every tree on the border between Ohio and Michigan, and setting off electromag- electromagnetic pulse weapons that his lawyer characterized at, a tri- at the trial as, quote, movie stuff. There's more on the way here. You can share your thoughts with us. It's Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. 
inviting you to join us here at 603-283-6160. You want to comment on the men found not guilty in the case regarding so-called weapons of mass destruction against Michigan, Michigan Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Apparently they brought, they brought WMD charges against these guys at one point. It just sounds hmm. so crazy. Anyway, they're accused of, you know, basically domestic terrorism, and a jury found them not guilty. Two of them, however, two found not guilty. Two of them were uh, were hung jury, and the other two pled guilty prior to trial. One of them got 75 months in prison, while two of them, now that they're found not guilty, are walking out of court free men. Uh, mm. Of course, you don't get all the time back that you spent, nope. you know, preparing for trial and you know, the difficulty of life not being able to actually really accomplish anything meaningful because you've got jail hanging over your head it is frustrating. But, hey, it's better to uh, to not have to go to federal prison than to go. So uh, we got more on that story. It's a huge win again for jury trials, which have been, as you pointed out, Chris, surprisingly positive for many freedom-oriented defendants, including the folks at the Bundy Ranch back in 2013, who of those who went to trial, I believe all of them uh, were found not guilty. I think yeah, you're right. The only case. person who went to uh, prison over that was uh, he pleaded before Jerry Delamus, who took yeah, a guilty yeah, plea. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to say Finnicrum, but and that was the one who was they, killed. If I, yeah. if I recall, uh, I don't think this changed at any point either. They wouldn't let him undo no nope. his guilty plea. You don't do that. Um, so. Freedom's Phoenix, by the way, is your source for all news. Economic news, government overreach, insane government spending, and more. Get today's headlines all in one place. And from a fresh libertarian perspective, you can find this and more at freedomsphoenix.com. That's freedoms with an S, phoenix.com. So more from the summary from BuzzFeed News. They're talking about how the defense in this case was basically neutered by the judge in the case who continued to sustain prosecutorial objections to in like for instance letting the defendants explain their statements the prosecution would present uh text messages from you know completely out of context of what these guys were saying this is this is a pattern with the government and taking things out of context and if you can't explain it and you're not allowed to show the messages that came before or after the text message it's a show trial it's it's a show trial it's literally a show trial and we saw the same thing in the case of christopher cantwell and that's correct i'm not a fan of christopher cantwell but you can't put people you can't put evidence against people and then not have context because it's gonna get uh it's not gonna be understood and if it's not understood it's gonna you can make people out to you know horrible people and he that's probably what they was a horrible person but he may not have done the things that they were accusing him of is the point yeah mm-hmm. the statements uh, defense said was just talk and they therefore are protected by the First Amendment. To the degree there was any actual plan to kidnap Whitmer, they added, it was the FBI that cooked it up. While the government's minions, as many as a dozen confidential informants, lured the defendants into half-heartedly playing along. They said it was a case of entrapment and that they had hundreds of recordings, text messages, and Facebook posts that would shine a very different light on the government narrative. They included exhibits showing informants smoking cannabis with the defendants, plying them with offers of cash, and working them into a lather with anti-government talk of their own. There was evidence of informants and FBI agents discussing ways to lure more suspects into the case, and extensive audio of defendants discussing absurd schemes involving stolen Black Hawk helicopters, 300 strong armies, <laughs> and newly minted silver currencies that the defense believed showed the men were simply fantasizing. But on February 2nd, the judge, Robert J. Jonker, ruled that most of the evidence the defense hoped to present couldn't even be mentioned in court, let alone shown to the jury. 
Though the evidence were, or the exhibits were direct audio recordings or transcriptions, just like much of the prosecution's evidence, the judge dismissed the material as irrelevant hearsay. Wow. So just a point of warning here to any of our liberty activist types out there, or people who want to be liberty activists, there is a good chance that as your movement becomes successful, and the fact is if you aren't in New Hampshire, this probably won't happen to you, uh, but, uh, (laughs) but as your movement becomes successful, the likelihood of somebody showing up who's working for the federal government is going to increase. It is going to the point of being 100% likely at some point that some federal agent or confidential informant is going to show up. In fact, there was apparently a new movers uh, party or something like that uh, recently, and I guess somebody said in a room full of people, and I don't remember the exact statement, but they said something about killing government agents out loud, and someone said, get out of here, Fed, and yelled at that guy, and he left. Yeah, and and you know what? This is not the only time that's happened. There's actually Mm -hmm. been... uh, I think we've counted at least eight investigations, two are public, and again, this is kind of speculative a little bit, but... You know, there's there's at least probably eight you know federal investigations in New Hampshire involving free staters. So sure. um, that we know of, right? yeah, right. That we yeah. can reasonably uh, most yeah. of them in Keene, but yeah. Uh, well, I'm, no, <laughs> I'm just the Crypto Six is just one case. I'm yeah, cons- oh, yeah, that's just one You're investigation just counting that as case, one, right? I see. Yeah. So the rule is, of course, you know, don't talk to these people. They are not there to help you. If somebody starts talking about violence, the odds are violence they are working crime. for the feds. Yep. Uh, and you need to not talk to that person beyond to tell them to go away, and they're not wanted. Mm -hmm. He also ruled, the judge ruled, the defendants could not inquire about the past conduct of several FBI agents, though the government would be allowed to question the defendants about episodes in their past. Five days before trial, Jonker, the judge, handed the defense a rare victory by ruling that if two undercover FBI agents appeared as witnesses, that they had to use their real names. Wow, that was... They had to use the real names. <laughs> wow. wow. After all the preceding decisions, it was hard to overlook the irony. Quote, it is time for all guys and pre- uh, pretense to end and for making the prosecution or and for the prosecution to present the evidence in an open forum, the judge wrote, making it crystal clear to the jury and the public that inside the courtroom, nothing is undercover and everything is out in the open will be best ensure will best ensure fairness during trial and eventual acceptance and respect for whatever the jury ultimately decides. He unquote. said after keeping all the uh, exculpatory evidence undercover. Yeah, it, you know, you know, it's kind of it kind of makes you really question jury trials because it's not the jury that's deciding if they don't have the information needed right. to make the decision. It's it's a I mean it it's a scam it's a scam it's yeah. it's an outright scam it's the judge it's the prosecutor it's you know it's these are the people who ultimately end up determining how the jury votes and or, if that's the case then it's not anything more than a show trial or in the case of a trial like this uh, a, sh- a sham would yeah. be a, a better yeah. word. On the 13th day of the trial, a stream of potential witnesses arrived in the courtroom. They'd all been subpoenaed by the defense, but addressing them one by one, the government warned them to think very carefully before testifying. One of the prosecutors asked a woman named Tanya or Taya Plummer pointed questions about her boyfriend, who plays no role whatsoever in the kidnapping case, but is a member of an armed militant group in another state. The prosecutor, Jonathan Roth, noted that he wasn't aware that Plummer herself was in any trouble with the law, but he left the unavoidable impression that could change if she made the wrong decision. As for how things would play out, quote, I'd leave that to her, 
he added, so, I mean, they're, they're literally blackmailing uh, people into testifying how the prosecution wants them to testify yeah. in order to not be threatened, you know, with cage time with themselves. Further charges. Or, or at all, in this or case, it charges, sounds like. Yeah. yeah. It meant, uh, if it was meant as a threat, it worked. Plummer said she would invoke her constitutional right against self-incrimination. Jonker released her, under, released her subpoena and excused her. Under similar pressure from the government, six other potential defense witnesses, including a controversial FBI informant, Stephen Robeson, at the heart of the investigation announced that they too would prefer to remain silent. And defense attorneys told Jonker that several additional witnesses intended to do the same, so they decided against even calling them to court. At least one of those individuals, a retiree from Virginia named Frank Butler, had been sent a letter by the Justice Department telling him he was the target of an investigation. There's more on the way about this incredible situation that still resulted in two yeah. not guilty verdicts more Nothing coming up than intimidation insight daily radio conversations with today's most interesting artists and creators author humorist and radio personality garrison keeler has been a fixture in popular culture with over 30 best-selling books and his prairie home companion radio program since the 1970s and he has a new book entitled boomtown a lake wobegon novel We caught up with Garrison to chat about his new book and the beginnings of the radio program that brought the fictional town of Lake Wobegon to life. I made the last changes in the novel. I think they were the last uh, because it's coming out soon. And um, that's, that's where the real fun in writing is, not in the first draft or the second or the third, but in the um, additions that you that you come up with, my principle is nothing is ever finished, so don't even imagine that it is. But in the last stages of revision and addition, you um, you enjoy you enjoy it the most, adding to it at the very end. That's author and humorist Garrison Keillor, whose new book, Boomtown, a Lake Wobegon novel, comes out April 11th. It's Free Talk Live. Join us here in the number 603-283-6160. You can bring up anything you want. We're getting into some of the details of this Michigan militia case where two people were found not guilty today. Other two found uh, hung jury, so they're probably going to be retried. Were they actually from the Michigan militia? I don't know about that. One of them was real, as I understand it, and the other militia was entirely fabricated by the FBI. Yeah. Uh, Well, the reason I ask is the Michigan militia was allegedly involved in the bombing of the uh, Oklahoma Murrow Federal Building. Uh, years ago. And oh, wow. So it's an actual organization. Yeah, I remember them talk being talked about back in the 90s. I mean, was the organization yeah. itself involved, or was it just people from the organization? Because uh, that's a it huge was somebody difference. somehow connected, to? connected yeah. to them, supposedly. I'm not even sure that the people convicted of that were I mean, guilty. This but, is, yeah, this um, is how they slander, you know, yeah. slander organizations right. that they don't like is by saying, oh, he's a, he's, he did, did such he's a militia such. member. Yeah, and he's associated with mm-hmm. this group, and it's like, and then, like, but that group has nothing to do with what he did. And, and 90% <laughs> of the members of the militia are federal agents. Yeah, yeah. well, it was, it was case, strange because yeah. that had something to do with red-pilling me in that, um, you know, I was like, on the one hand, 
you know, I thought, okay, well, these people did this awful thing. But on the other hand, they're the first people I've ever heard of who have uh, politics similar to mine. They actually think mm. they uh, think the federal government is doing too much. And I was, even though I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not all into religion. I was horrified by the uh, Branch Davidian what happened massacre. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I think that uh, was a, a real turnoff to the feds for a lot of people back then, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This kind of reminds me of the whole Bundy Ranch thing. It's like I don't definitely don't share their politics, but yeah, they're mm-hmm. not wrong in 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 regards to government intrusion on their rights and their lands and things and it's like (laughs) and ammon bundy as i understand it is actually more uh libertarian and that he like he came out in support of uh not the organization but the black lives matter movement Mm. and said well you know the police are killing too many black people Mm. you know which which i certainly uh, I certainly would agree with, even though, you know, the organization is, you know, just a bunch of Marxists right. who took took donations and bought mansions. I, mean, I heard the, about that. The yeah. U.S. government kills too many people, period, yeah. especially around the world. Many yeah. of them, though, are also not necessarily black specifically, but, yeah. you know, of other ethnicities than, mm-hmm. you know, who are in power mostly in the United States. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't. I don't know if uh, I don't know if it's more likely to happen to black people or not, but I think I can certainly understand why black people would think so, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and and so I can't you know, I can't judge that given the history of the last 400 years. Um, you know, it's going to take people a while to get over that. I think that I think the problem that we have when we focus on black people is that black people are while they're absolutely uh, a persecuted group, I think is probably the right word. Um, there's a lot of other persecuted groups and frequently like younger, young people, It's mostly poor, you know, people, poor really. people I mean, that tends to be um, who they target. But certainly, yeah, blacks are disproportionately right. targeted a bunch in a lot of, of places. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of different minority groups who are being persecuted still or have been in the past. Uh, and it's changed a little bit over time, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're driving a Lexus around, you're much less likely to be targeted than somebody uh, driving a beat-up old you know, piece of junk or whatever as far as police pullovers yeah. are concerned. Uh, and the cops know the Lexus Most driver can afford... <laughs> the cops know a Lexus driver can afford an attorney. Right? Yeah. yeah. So they're real careful with that. Prosecutors in this case, back to uh, the Michigan story here from BuzzFeedNews.com, their tactics were so heavy-handed they could easily have backfired, causing the jury to wonder why it was so important to shut people up. But, of course, the jury never saw any of that because, as you know, if you've watched trials before, they get removed from the courtroom any time any kind of you know discussion like this happens in front of a judge. So they don't, they have no idea about the fact that the judge is excluding all this evidence or that the mm. judge is excluding all of these witnesses, and they have no idea. So the uh, all the jury saw, according to BuzzFeed, was the, the result of all these things, which was a piteously threadbare defense. There were only three witnesses called by the defense who collectively testified for – well, three witnesses allowed – Mm-hmm. Uh, for the defense, who collectively testified for scarce, scarcely 30 minutes to bolster the case compared to the relentless stream of undercover agents, cooperators, informants, experts, associates, and even Barry Croft's weeping girlfriend that the government was allowed to parade before the jury. It was so thin, it was almost no defense at all. 
The prosecution had closed off so many of the defense's options that last Thursday, Daniel Harris, a 24-year-old ex-Marine with a boyish face and a goofy sense of humor, decided to testify in his own defense. A risky move that, surprisingly, seems to have paid off because he was one of the two that was found not guilty. Quote, Daniel told me from day one that he was innocent, said his attorney. The jury believed him, she said. According to Kelly, both she and Harris broke into tears as the verdict was read. Friday happened to be Caserta's birthday, and he exclaimed the jury's decision was the best birthday present he had ever gotten. <laughs> After almost a year and a half in detention, both men were wow. immediately released and headed home. Wow, they didn't get bail. Uh, Fox and Croft, meanwhile, returned to jail pending a potential retrial, and the attorneys could not be reached for comment. In the government's telling, the most critical moment when the alleged plot took place in September of 2020 when Foxcroft and others piled into three trucks and headed out to conduct nighttime surveillance of Whitmer's Lakeside College. It was not a great success. College? For, uh, sorry, cottage. Thank you. Uh, for one thing, the com- uh, their companions that night included two confidential informants and two undercover agents. Some 10 additional FBI agents followed them en route, and stationary cameras mounted at strategic spots tracked their progress. For another, despite all the careful planning, the men failed to find Whitmer's house because they'd, been- <laughs> <laughs> because they'd been given the wrong address, and heavy rains made it impossible for them to spot one another from across the lake as they had hoped to do. Nonetheless, the government seized on the narrative value of that outing and several times throughout the trial showed the jury a pair of videos reenacting it, except it looked a little different on the projector screen. In one of the videos, a confidential informant and two agents sit in a truck parked in Whitmer's driveway, which none of the defendants ever found. A second video, viewed from across the lake, shows a glowing infrared illuminator held by an FBI agent standing on Whitmer's boat deck, a vantage point that not one of the defendants ever had. That's just dishonest, Blanchard said in court on Friday, but it certainly made for good viewing. In the end, and in ways that may be unsatisfying to many of the parties, the case that was tried in Grand Rapids will inevitably reach far beyond the evidence shown in court or even the partial verdict delivered on Friday afternoon. In a January order, Judge Jonker wrote that one of the challenges of the trial would be ensuring the jurors ignore extraneous information about the FBI and its tactics and focus only on the specific facts of the case. The reality, however, is that other than the prosecution's flowing out, out of the ongoing Capitol riot probe, the Michigan case stands as the most ambitious and closely watched investigation of domestic extremism in an entire generation. Whether they cross the sharply defined line into entrapment is a matter of legal definitions, but the tactics employed by the FBI to develop its case against the defendants, despite the Justice Department's best efforts to keep those tactics secret, conform to a growing popular conception of government overreach. Manipulating people into committing crimes is unacceptable in America, said Blanchard in closing arguments, carefully calibrated calibrated to press that hot button. Quote, that's not how it works. We don't make terrorists so we can arrest them. Unquote. <laughs> Blanchard was mistaken. That's exactly what the government Yeah, does. they do. <laughs> Indeed, they point that out here. Blanchard was mistaken. Using swarms of informants to push suspected radicals toward violence is, in fact, exactly how it works. The FBI has been doing it for at least half a century, from the Black Panthers in the 1970s to Muslim groups in the wake of 9-11. But because the targets in this case were conservative white men, those tactics touched a nerve with a swath of the population that had never seriously considered the issue before. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's disturbing that they're fabri- they're literally fab- fabricating evidence in these cases because obviously if you create a uh I don't know what they call it, was it a demo or whatever, um and it's not accurate. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, those cheap TV shows that, oh, this is just a recreation. The true crime shows yeah. where they dramatize things. Yeah, I'm amazed that they let that into court. They shouldn't have. No. This judge wasn't going to throw it out, though. He was totally bought for the prosecution, hooked, yeah. you know, completely from top to bottom. Uh, we got more on the way. You can join us. We'll get into the the, uh, the banking warning of a recession shock coming up. It is Free Talk Live. You can join us here. Share your thoughts. Whatever is on your mind. If you want to join us, the number is 603-283-6160. Bank of America saying there is a recession shock coming to the economy. We can tell you more about that. Uh, it's Ian, Chris, and nobody joining you tonight. You can join us online and help us out like Patrick Easterday has done. Patrick is a gold-level member of our AMPS Patreon. AMPS stands for Advertise, Market, Promote, and Support. It is a way for you to help us for as little as 5 bucks a month. Patrick's doing gold, so he's doing, I think, uh, 10 bucks a month there. And help us get the word out about the ideas of liberty, get on more great radio stations around the country. We've got over 190 stations airing the show these days. Uh, those 190 are not all on at once, by the way. It's over an entire week. We've got 190 stations. <laughs> uh, so you can help us get to 250, 200, you know, whatever, 300, etc. It's all possible, but it does take a little bit of money. It takes a little bit of time, a little bit of uh, marketing, and you can help us with that, like Patrick has done, over at amps.freetalklive.com. That'll take you right over to our Patreon. That's amps.freetalklive.com. So uh, to to go back to the story that I had originally sort of teased at the very beginning of the show about Bank of America warning in a weekly research note, according to Reuters report, the macroeconomic picture is deteriorating fast and could push the U.S. economy into a recession. Inflation shock worsening. Rates shock just beginning. Recession shock coming, said Bank of America's chief investment strategist, Michael Hartnett, in a note to clients, adding that his context, or in this context, cash, volatility, commodities, and cryptocurrencies could outperform bonds and stocks. Who would have thought we would see the day when Bank of America was admitting that cryptocurrencies may actually be a better investment than the stocks and bonds? Did they say cash would be a better investment than than, uh, stocks? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, does it? But that's what they said. Mm. Well, I mean, if the stock market's likely to fall, then that's probably true. It may not fall as fast as cash. Ah, You're saying cash will not fall as fast as stocks. I guess it kind of makes sense in terms of... If you know, for a moment, yeah. it could be the case that dollars will hold more value than the than the stock market. The if it takes a real market. Yeah, yeah, if you have inflation yeah. and a falling market, yeah. then that then cash is a better investment than stock. Yeah, but I mean, uh, wow. Again, that that's a really America, bad situation to be in. If that's the case, though, Bank of America suggesting cryptocurrencies might yeah. be a better investment than the old school investments. That's uh, didn't see that one coming. No, not at all. The Federal Reserve signaled this week that it will likely start culling assets from its $9 trillion balance sheet at its meeting in early May and will do so at nearly twice the pace they did previously in their previous quantitative tightening exercise as it confronts Mm. inflation running at a four-decade high. A large majority of investors also expect the central bank to hike its key interest rate by 50 basis points. In terms of notable weekly flows, Bank of America said emerging market equity funds enjoy the biggest inflow in 10 weeks 
I have no idea what that means. Anyway, that's pretty much the story. Mm. They're they're predicting a recession shock to the economy. It, it, the crazy thing is, like prices have already gone up so much. Yeah, but they're saying it's not a recession yet, uh, which mm. is crazy. And I, I, I get housing it, prices kinda, are going up, right? Like you it, know, do we need to see a just crash? housing prices? Well, rise, it's like everything. rising prices. Um, contribute peripherally to avoiding a uh, a recession in that a, a recession is defined as two consecutive months of uh, negative growth. Uh, as or, far I'm as sorry, the GDP? Two consecutive quarters of negative growth of GDP. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, um, Rising prices don't don't come into it except that rising prices can be uh, reflected in in uh, rising GDP. Yeah, I was going to say if uh, you know if you've got inflation going on, and we certainly do in a way that we haven't seen in most of our lifetimes uh, at this point. Definitely not. Then prices are going up, but also wages have to go up as well. <laughs> so. Those not all not get, necessarily. Well, they do if that's what's happening. People get poorer. They well, people are getting poorer because the wages don't keep up with the rising prices. Right. Yes, mm. but because those numbers are all going up, GDP number go up too. Oh, I follow what you're saying. Right. And yeah, that certainly can happen. Yeah. Yeah. The question is, are are uh, you know, is the average rate of pay? going up relative to inflation and never. everything else. It and, never and, happens. Right, and right. We've been getting poorer since at least, I think, the 70s, if I'm not mistaken, in the United States. Yeah, that's mm. true. And now poorer even faster. Yes. So even though people have gone from 10 bucks an hour to 15 bucks an hour, it still doesn't buy them what it used to. Yeah. It, it yeah. doesn't... I, you know, it's funny. A couple of years ago, I, I couldn't even envision paying somebody $15 an hour, and now I'm now like... you have to, right? Now I'm thinking like... Uh, we're getting very close to, well, you know, it's actually, no. Dunkin' Donuts um, is paying 15 bucks an hour. Well, hold on, hold on. We actually have to, this is an interesting conversation to have. A lot of these places that say they're paying $15, $20 an hour Mm -hmm. are not actually paying those rates. Really? No. What they're doing is they're deceiving people into uh, applying for the job, going through the, you know, the whole emotional process, Mm -hmm. and then telling them, oh, yeah, that's only for, like, management, but there's only one one position in the store, and that's already taken, so we only pay you $12 an hour or $10 an hour. So it's a bait and switch? It's a bait and, yeah, it's a bait and switch tactic, and it's apparently widespread across the industry, industries. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I actually, I actually had to... I actually kind of realized this and discovered this uh, because I have a business myself and I'm like, how am I going to pay somebody $15 an hour Mm -hmm. without raising the prices and the the people, customers aren't going to pay those prices. And uh, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Nobody's actually doing that. And and I just flat out, I I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I forget what the expression is like bait the something or other, but I'm like, you know, I'm going to be upfront with somebody when I hire them and I'm going to be like, look, well, I, yeah, I know this person. I know that like they're adver- everybody else is advertising a certain amount, but I also know that they're not actually getting that. And um, wow, you know, and this and, and I'll just be honest, like this is what I can uh, afford to pay you. Um, and I, well, that's good because, yeah. you, you know, you work with your co-workers right. and these <laughs> right. other companies are mega corporations where right. the, the right. hiring agent never sees the person that they hire later yeah. on. Right? It's, it's interesting because this is this is actually not something that this is actually something I have seen before, but I didn't realize how widespread it had become. Mm. 
Wow. And um, yeah, because even uh, I want to say like early 2000, was I think it was early 2000s time period, or well, maybe not early 2000, 2007, 2008. Um, that time period, I actually saw the same thing happen where employers were advertising, you know, certain rates of pay. And then it's like, wait a minute, that's not what you're actually paying. Mm-hmm. Um, where they'll offer advertise certain jobs. And then when you actually finish the interview, they'll be like, oh, well, we don't actually have that job available, but we have this other job. And so you're kind of, you're, you're pushed into taking, you know, a much lower rate but of back pay. Then- it was a much tighter job market as opposed it to was, now. It was, but the tactics still work. I see what you're saying, but as a but <laughs> when was the job? When was the market job was market during, tighter than it is now? 2007, 2008. It's not tight now. You can get any job yeah, you want right now. It's yeah, not. but that doesn't. Oh, mean, okay. Tighten that. Direction. That doesn't yeah, sorry, mean yeah. the tactics don't work on most people. It still works on most people because of the stresses of finding a job, even if the market is good. Because most people don't like saying. going through the whole the process, interview process right. and applying and sending out a thousand resumes. But back and, then, you were as a uh, you know as a human resources director, you would have a stack of a thousand resumes on your desk to go absolutely. through. And you could pick the best of the best. Now, you're lucky if you have ten, right? Like you're. I mean, yeah. now there's so many well, jobs well, available. And this is why last Saturday. Well, so one of the problems right now is that the restaurants and other businesses can't afford to actually pay people what their competitors are paying them because they're not actually paying them that amount. So they're all forced to advertise and manipulate in order to attract people to actually. Because if you're advertising ten dollars an hour, right? Nobody's going to no apply. Gonna nobody's going to apply yeah. because everybody else is advertising ten and fifteen. Even if everybody else is paying ten dollars too. You have to advertise, you know, the the higher rate in order to get them to apply. What were you saying about last Saturday? Nobody? Last Saturday, the uh, Key and Cumberland Farms closed at eight p.m. Oh because they God. didn't have anybody to work. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, Bonnie was telling me that her sister, who doesn't live around here, she lives in Alabama, was working for a makeup store, Sally's Beauty Supply. She was one of two employees that this store had. Wow. Two employees. The other girl quit. And so she quit. And so they must <laughs> wow. have closed the store, right? Unless the district manager wants to come in and work eight hours or ten hours a day or whatever. So, like, there's, it's just amazing how few people are willing to work these days. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it really is. It's interesting, uh, and and it's not even like people. I don't want to say like uh, Americans are lazy, but certainly there are a lot of lazy people out there, oh, yeah. and it's it's amazing. And when, welfare to the mix too. Yeah, it's a. But what I want to say is, it's amazing when you find somebody these days who has like a good work ethic. They want to show up on time. Uh, yeah, smiling and the customer. I've got I've got a couple of employees right now that are just amazing. Wow, and you lucked um, out. But I'm like I've never had employees. That, well, actually, I have had a couple of employees that were probably pretty good like this but most employees i've had over the you know the last decade more than a decade now being in business haven't been anywhere near you know uh you know good work ethic right is this bank of america guy right is there a recession shock on the way if you want to weigh in on the economic situation here and now you're welcome to join us we've got a whole hour to go the number 603-283-6160 uh, people are changing their spending habits, by the way, due to the constantly rising prices thanks to inflation. We'll talk about what they're doing on the way. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off the third hour of the show. The phones are open if you want to join us. At 603-283-6160, we talked about the Michigan guys that were charged with various different crimes from the federal government gang in regards to an alleged plot to kidnap the governess there, 
Mich- or, uh, Michigan governess Janet Whitmer? No. What's her name? Gretchen. Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer. Whitmer yeah. I don't think governess is the word you're looking for. That would be like a nanny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it is. That might now be that right I think word. of it, given, <laughs> given her style. So uh, uh, two of them found not guilty today in a uh, jury decision, a huge decision. So we talked a lot about that. If you want to weigh in, you're welcome to join us at 603-283-6160. We also uh, shared a prediction from a Bank of America analyst predicting a recession shock saying that stocks could face some serious punishment and that cryptocurrencies may be a much better investment. So, you know what's mm. interesting here is I wonder if any of this is connected to the sanctions on Russia. Um, because oh, well, they're going to blame that. I mean, they, the U.S. government's been blaming the Russian right. government. Obviously, for, it's not the Russians' fault. The U.S. decided to do the sanctions, and so as, right. as well as many other countries. Mm-hmm. But the U.S. has to now prop up, presumably, Europe, and I don't know what the U.S. is doing, but Europe needs gas, so our prices right. are going to go up, world prices oh, yeah. are going to go up, it, you know. Um, and they're going to blame Putin, even yeah. though, of course, the gas prices were yeah. already going up prior to Putin's invasion of right. Ukraine. Yeah, what I want to know is if cutting off the uh, Russian pipeline was the best way to crush the Russian economy, why did Biden cut off our pipeline? You're talking That's about the Canadian question. one? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the yeah. X, XL something Keystone. XL. Keystone, Keystone XL. Pipeline. Yep, that's a good question. And uh, they also, you know, they cut off Putin. And the at the time they put those sanctions into place, you saw the value of the Russian ruble take a dive. But guess what? It's come back it, since it then. It has. Now, it's I, actually higher than it was I, prior to his invasion. I, I'm going to say something that's not going to be very popular here. But... That's because it's being artificially uh, manipulated by Russia. How? Um, I honestly am not the best person to explain this, but they have huge reserves and so forth, mm-hmm. and they can use them somehow to prop up uh, the huge Russian ruble. reserves of rubles? Gold and some other things, and I'm not entirely sure how it all works. Well, they have said that they're willing to. Uh, they're they're putting like a set price on a gram of gold of uh, I think it was like five thousand uh, rubles. Unfortunately, or I'm not the expert in this, but I under I understood enough of it to kind of understand how it was working. But basically, they have this reserve, and they can use that and prop things up, and they can per- pass certain laws. Anyway, basically, but they can't comes- force the rest of the world <laughs> to value the ruble at what they want it valued at. They can't do mm. it forever. But they can do it for a certain period of time. So it's well. The fact is, what they are doing is they are they're playing hardball. They're saying absolutely right, playing hardball. They're saying, look, all right, you. Uh, they Western, were prepared for this. They went in expecting this yeah, to some degree. They and that's one of the reasons they've been buying gold for so absolutely. long. Absolutely. Uh, they said to Europe and they said to Japan and the United States, "Hey, you want our oil? Well, now you're going to have to pay in the ruble." Yeah. Now that mm-hmm. the deadline for that was supposed to be March 31st, but because of bureaucracy, you know, they couldn't make their own <laughs> deadline. Uh, so now it's however many weeks it takes to to get it done. So it's not a done deal yet, Fair but enough. that's coming. Yep. Um, so, but the market can price that 
that in to the price of the ruble at any time, right? So the deal doesn't have to be done in order for the market to say, oh, things are looking better for the ruble. Right. Right. And, right. It can affect the market even though it's not actually implemented. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah. just one example of, of what they've been doing. And and, uh, and not that I've been paying the closest well, it's, of attention. It's interesting. To it. when, you, when you try to use sanctions against countries, you end up with a, or have a trade war or whatever, mm-hmm. which is kind of what this is go- happening, right? Yeah. It, it's tit for tat, right? It's the same thing that happened with China and the United States. You know, it ends up costing everybody more money. It doesn't yep. actually like punish the people the way you think it will probably punish, you know, whoever it is you're trying to punish. Um, the people it doesn't who even, benefit are the people who aren't involved. Right. It doesn't even like, like you're trying to punish Putin supposedly, but it doesn't actually affect Putin. Yeah. Uh, he's not going to be losing weight because he won't right. be able to eat. He, it's, it's not going to change. It, mm-hmm. Look, we've used sanctions against a ton of different people and countries. Okay. Yes. It's yet to work. Why Correct. do you think it's going to work with Putin when it hasn't worked with anybody else? No, it's just tough talk. It's just posturing on the it part is. of the, the it politicians. Is. It's it's the politicians uh basically puffing up themselves to make it right. look like they're doing something when in reality yeah what putin's doing is bad but what you're doing isn't actually working either and it's actually real convenient for them that this is happening because like i said they can blame putin now and they have absolutely been blaming they can blame putin. putin for the you know the whole economic damage to the united states and the other countries and it's yeah. not really it. the real truth is it's it's our own government and they're just using this as an excuse and it has exactly. it predates the invasion and putin's the boogeyman in fact i saw an image today on social media you know how there have been these stickers of biden pointing at like a, a biden pointing his finger people have been putting them on gas pumps have you seen any of those they say i did this yes yeah, yeah. i did that <laughs> or i did this and that's funny and everything but now there's another sticker that is an image of ukraine with the red and or the uh, yellow and blue flag colors and it says it's worth it that people are putting on gas pumps. Now, is that an intentional huh. reference to Madeleine Albright, or did the people oh, who made that completely <laughs> miss the irony? That was that was my comment mm. when I saw the uh, uh, when I saw the article that said Madeleine Albright had, had died. Uh, my comment on it was it it's was worth definitely it. worth it. <laughs> um, <laughs> For listeners that don't know, you're referring to her comment about 500,000 dead Iraqi children, if I recall yes. correctly, being quote unquote worth it mm-hmm. uh regarding wow. the invasion i can't believe she said that she did yeah yeah i, I forgot about that yeah it that, was uh i i couldn't believe she said it i i don't a monster. I She's a monster. some of these people are I, they're not thinking i think sometimes when they say they say what they actually think that's and, what she believes and, feel, and it's like they're usually good at hiding it and yeah. then these things come out and it's like well, it didn't ruin her career or anything like that so. yeah yeah, it's right up there with Bill Gates saying that, unfortunately, Omicron provides uh, provides immunity that's as good as the vaccine. Um, <laughs> yeah. He wasn't happy about that. No. Yeah. No. Uh, so we're talking about inflation. And there's a story over the Wall Street Journal about what people are doing. Because, look, the fact is, as prices go up, people will change their behavior. Mm-hmm. They will change their buying habits. They'll change their traveling habits. They'll get more deliberate about when they go out and where they go and whether they're going to carpool with people. So habits are changing. And uh, inflation, of course, is not letting up. In fact, they're expecting numbers next week for March course we know that february's numbers were in the case of the producer price index record a record high Mm. and then the consumer price index a near record high 
Uh, so household staples are no longer immune. American consumers are starting to cut costs on mainstays from toothpaste to baby formula as inflation hits a swath of the economy that has thus far proven resistant to substantial price increases. Procter mm-hmm. Gamble, Clorox, Kraft Heinz Company, and other consumer products giants have made a bet that consumers will pay up for household products even as inflation takes hold. Over the past year, they've seen profits and market share grow as they've raised prices on products from detergent and diapers to snacks and soda. But now consumers hit by soaring costs from everything from gasoline to childcare are drawing a line, say analysts and retailers. Shoppers are now buying staples in smaller quantities and switching to cheaper store name brands and more rigorously hunting for deals. The shift is especially pronounced amongst lower income consumers who previously had splurged on household products amid the heights of the pandemic. You know, after they got the the check from the government, people were feeling Mm. real, real wealthy. Of course, they didn't know what was coming. Private label brands... And they didn't know that they'd given big business 15 times as much. Of course not. Uh, the average person doesn't pay attention to the news, so how could they? Yeah. They just knew they were getting 1400 bucks or 1200 bucks or whatever it was, and all right, let's let's buy some steaks. We're paying for it. We're all paying for it now. Oh, yeah. Private, we've been, we've been you're, paying you're for paying it. You were paying for it then. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Private label brands, after two years in which they lost market share to brand names, have begun to lure back buyers. In the three-week period ending March 20th, edible private label uh, brands increased share slightly, and non-edible store brands held steady according to data from research firm IRI. Now, private label, for those that don't know, that's what you call like the the Walmart brand, the the Sam's Club or whatever. It's the private label of the grocery store that you are shopping at, typically. They have their own products, and usually they have a tough time playing against the uh, the big ad, big corporation products, but now people are starting to take a second look. The number is 603-283-6160. You want to talk about your shopping habits. Have they been changing as prices have gone up? Give us an example of how. If you want to join us, it's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. The phones are open here. The number is 603-283-6160. Maybe you want to weigh in and talk about how inflation and the concomitant rise in prices goes along with inflation. Because remember, inflation is an increase in the money supply, and that's what we're seeing happening at near record levels. Uh, at this point, of course, prices go up. Not near record. The money supply is at a record. Oh, that's true. Yeah. The money supply has been at a record every year yeah. since What did they print the last year in terms of dollars? It depends it who you dollars. ask. It's somewhere between 30 to 70% or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> that's a lot of money printing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. Uh, and so prices are going up, and that means people have to make new decisions at the grocery store and elsewhere where they're shopping because as we discussed earlier when prices go up yeah wages will trail it but they never keep up with the rising prices so even though you might get a raise it's not going to be enough to deal with the dramatic increase in what we're seeing at you know uh, grocery stores the gas pump Energy costs uh, in general, the cost of a used car is up. Many people are, are selling used cars for more than the price they paid for them mm-hmm. now, apparently. Yep. So it's a, it's a wild situation. Again, if you want to weigh in, 603-283-6160. This story from the Wall Street Journal looking at people's buying habits. We were talking about private label brands at 
uh, grocery stores, for instance, it's that's whatever it is is brand, the brand that is sort of owned by the store. Usually, in a lot of cases, they're manufactured by the real labels. In some mm. in some cases, not all, but uh, but they just put the store's brand on it, and they the store sells it for less than the uh, the official brands do because the official brands are paying for huge advertising budgets. They've got a, a mm. bunch more overhead. And the uh, the store that sells them, the private labels um, being sold in store, they don't have to pay for shelf space. Sometimes those stores charge those companies for shelf space. You know, you, how do they decide what uh, products are right at eye level? Well, they pay for that mm-hmm. in a lot yeah. of cases. And so the store, of course, can put their brand wherever they want to, and they can price it more more competitively. So buyers are starting to think twice about going with the name brands. Crystal Phillips of Adams, Massachusetts, said she's been feeling the pinch of higher prices for months, but started more seriously cutting costs in recent weeks after she spent $92 to fill the gas tank on the family's vehicle. Oh, yeah. I can, I wow. can, I can relate to that experience. <laughs> What's the most you've paid, do you remember, in recent weeks? <sighs> I'm not sure. Probably, I think I've paid fifty dollars for. I don't know if it was a. I don't even think it was a full tank. Yeah, it's over um, fifty I mean, bucks for a for something a full like tank for me. thirty dollars. Maybe for was was maybe a full tank for me. Like I don't know, a couple of months ago. Hmm. Ms. Phillips, she has four children, aged six to eighteen. Replaced ornamental plants with vegetable seeds in her backyard garden. Started shopping at discount grocer Aldi. And last week ditched her $7 a bottle Tide detergent for a similarly sized bottle of Purex that she found for $2.50 at Dollar General. She says, it doesn't smell as nice, talking about the detergent, but I'm more concerned with feeding my family. Mm. And then they have a photograph in this story of some shelves, I'm not sure where, Associated Press photo of detergent shelves, which are mostly empty. At the store at which this uh, this was taken, and that uh, comes back to a conversation we were having during the break about every every week when I'm at the local one of the local grocers here, which is called Market Basket. Uh, every week, it is super easy to tell that they are doing the best they can to hide mm. the fact that they have low inventory. Yeah, I, I have to say, I've been stocking up for a while. You know, every time I place an order for anything, uh, mm-hmm. it, just because I know I can't get stuff, and I'm we're still there stuff we don't. We don't. Most stuff we're pretty good on. You're talking about for your business, for my business, yeah, com, for, which sells right, computer parts. Yeah, um, but like, yeah, like it's like I, I'm not going to be able to get this in reliably. It's like we have one computer in stock right now. Oh with my god! One, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, one laptop computer model. We had two. We were down. We're just probably down from like three or four at least. One model, but more than one available. We have a lot of different configurations. So okay. just to be clear, um, okay. but when we if we had four configurations and two models last week. This week we were down to one. I gotta wait a month before I can place another. Well, uh, place another uh, run to get the next generation in. And how long does it take now to ship from China? Because we hear all these stories about ships out in uh, the ports on the yeah, west coast so, being backed up. Interestingly enough, um, I've actually reverted to shipping the slow boat from China. Um, literally shipping. Uh, you know, on ships like mm-hmm. those pretty big ships you always see um a product that normally i would i would have go dhl go in flight it would be oh. flown to I, almost everything i order from china it's just it's it's more reliable it's faster and yeah, i would think so DHL much easier would be way faster. and when you're looking when you're talking about small packages it makes sense mm-hmm. um now i've i've been i've been doing the slow boat from china for a lot of really? stuff yeah so how long the is price- it taking Probably a month and a half. 
That's okay. probably about right. And um, it used to be what a couple weeks uh, on the boat. Well, no, that's the time frame of the. Well, so that's a good question. I don't, well, I didn't used to you do the slow boat for China. I, I have, but I don't. I didn't usually do it because I haven't done it in you know a decade almost mm-hmm. because. Ultimately, it's, you know, when you're ordering lots of small goods as on a price per uh, unit basis with small goods, the packages aren't that big. So mm-hmm. it just isn't worth the frustration of having to wait a month and a half for something to yeah. arrive. Pay um, a little extra, put it on a plane. Right. But mm-hmm. it's definitely taking way longer uh, mm-hmm. to get goods from, from China, but via the slow boat from China. So... The most readily available data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics showed the annual inflation rate had risen to 7.9%, a four-decade high with oil and commodity market disruptions from the Ukraine situation expected to add more cost pressures. The consumer staples industry has crossed a threshold, said the president of strategic analysis or analytics for IRI, Christian Krishna Kumar Devi said, quote, consumers have been pinched for some time and they're observing they're paying more and more and they're beginning to drop some items from their basket because they just can't afford it. Unquote. Grocery industry executives say consumers are becoming more sensitive to price. They're switching to store brands for some products and increasingly trading down to cheaper items such as ground beef instead of steak. And indeed, we've talked about shrinkflation here on Free Talk Live, which is this this process of them lowering the uh, the amount of let's say paper towels on a roll or lowering the amount of ounces in the you know the the fluid products that you're purchasing uh, but at some point they cannot shrink these products any further there are so many ways that companies manipulate us they got a lot in of response uh, to you know basically increasing prices yeah. um it's 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 interesting and it's it's sometimes <laughs> It's yeah. I mean, th- this kind of reminds me uh, of um, what we were doing, and actually, a lot of companies were doing for for a while when the uh, tariffs came into effect. Uh, there was twenty five percent. It went from ten percent under Trump, and then went to twenty five percent, and mm-hmm. then uh, Biden brought it back. But we were like, well, how do we deal with this? If this is a temporary, uh, assuming it's a temporary trade war, right? It's a trade war you think would be temporary. Well, how do you deal with that? Do you up the prices on all your products? Or and one of the things we did was we we're like, well, if it's like a tax, let's just add it to the end of the you know at the checkout process as opposed to the price of the product. Uh-huh. And people don't necessarily perceive that the prices are going up, and then they go to checkout, and then it's like it's kind of a shocker at checkout. Yeah, but it's one of these things that's sort of manipulative. And but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's it was actually the reason we did it was more because I didn't want to keep that twenty five percent tariff on the product after the tariffs were over. Yeah, it'd be easier to just so, remove an add in than right, to change right. all the prices. Again. But this is what a lot of companies ended up doing. Uh, not everybody, but a lot of companies did, and that basically resulted like on Walmart, like a thirty percent increase in prices across the board. Wow. Um, but for electronics specifically, it was twenty five percent. Yeah, and they've slimmed down these products so far. I mean, they cannot like, for instance, take like an orange juice container. They used to be sixty four ounces. Now some of them are in the low fifties. Yep. There's more coming up here. It's uh, Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want here. And the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Here in the studio tonight, it's Ian. And Chris. And nobody. We have so many features on our website. You can go and enjoy them over at freetalklive.com. We also have RSS feeds, which you can find at feeds.freetalklive.com. Those feeds allow you to subscribe to our episodes, and you can receive them automatically via your favorite podcast client. 
Just go to feeds.freetalklive.com. You'll find the RSS links there. Copy whichever one you want to subscribe to. There's different types. There's the full um, the full feed, which has everything we release. There's the episodes only and the digests only version. So head over to feeds.freetalklive.com. So we're talking about people's buying habits uh, changing due to prices going up here. And uh, the Wall Street Journal is reporting people are switching over to store brands for products. They're leaving the name brands behind because you can basically get the same quality most of the time. I mean, I'm, I've always been a fan of private labels. Uh, I've tried a lot of them out there and most of the time they're about the same quality if not in some cases better not always than the uh you know the big names you know you know what i've actually found is most of the private what i think of as private private labeling is garbage but what i found is a lot of the smaller players in the market have hmm. good product um because they're because there's more what's the word it's not just like some knockoff kind of being done in china it there's more of a um, well i'm talking about food most of that's yeah, not being made in that's china. true that's true um but no like i'm just thinking about like local farmers kind of mm-hmm. food tends to my experience is usually gonna pay more than, though for uh, it, for a local that's farmer. true i guess if you're trying to save money that's yeah. Not that necessarily going to save you money, but yeah, yeah, that's that's who private labels are marketing towards the people that are, are right, looking right, to save right. that's true. Uh, that's a true. few bucks. Certainly, uh, store brand. Certainly, store brand is that's the case. That's yeah. That's yeah. I mean, that's what I generally consider to be private label. Of course, you know mm. the, the yeah, classic yeah. example uh, from Repo Man back in the 1980s, where you just have the most nondescript labels whatsoever, where it just would say beer, yeah, or cornflakes mm. or whatever. So they they usually don't you know, have they, creative names. They actually do that intentionally uh, because they're trying to attract people who are, I want to say cheap, but people who are, you know, looking for a bargain, I guess Mm -hmm. is the best way to phrase it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So grocery industry executives say consumers are becoming more sensitive to price and switching to store brands. Quote, I was hoping that now, by now, things might have eased up a little bit, but it hasn't slowed down, says the buyer at Morton Williams Supermarkets. He said he was notified of price hikes from bread and beer companies and expects further increases in the coming months and that's again because they just cannot cut things down even further we've seen this is before covid i noticed that some beers you know i don't drink anymore but i had noticed some beers do you drink any less (laughs) i had noticed that some beers had gone down from 12 ounces to like 11 ounces or 11.3 ounces wow yeah and that happened a few years ago uh, and so, you know, same thing. I, I was looking at some of the bread at Market Basket and I, I said to Bonnie, I'm like, that doesn't even look like you could fit. The, the bread looks so small now. It doesn't even look like you could fit like a piece of bologna or whatever <laughs> on the bread, like that it would hang off the sides in some Well, of they've these made loaves. the bologna smaller too. So I bet it they works have. Out. <laughs> yep. I bet they're doing that too. Uh, he's expecting more price increases in the coming months. Part of the shift is because private label options are more available now than during the height of the pandemic when high demand and supply chain problems led manufacturers to shift products away from store brands in favor of pricier name brands, but consumer demand for cheaper items is a factor. Another telling sign, sales volumes have begun to fall in a number of categories, meaning people are buying mainstays in smaller quantities. Before and during the height of the pandemic, sales volumes of staples increased even as prices rose. On February 22nd, volume sales of cereal were down 7.2%, on a two-year compound basis, and cleaning product volume sales fell 5.1%. So people are cleaning <laughs> That's less. That's kind of disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> In that same period, according to a Bernstein analysis of Nielsen figures, prices for those products rose 9.5% and 7.2% respectively. 
for those categories. If they're switching to store brand uh, cleaners, though, they may be cleaning just as much, but using cheaper products to do but it. They, so then the dollar volume of the of the sales would mm, still shrink. But didn't they? Oh, oh, was it a dollar volume that was it, it down? Says, Cleaning product volume sales, so presumably they're probably only looking at numbers of of sales, like ounces kind of deal. Yeah, hard to say if if it's if it's if it is ounces. If they're looking at ounces, then then it wouldn't make it. Then then it's probably actually less cleaning going on. And well, I mean, or less purchasing at least. People might be delaying. Some of that might be the result of delaying purchases as opposed to actually buying less. Yeah, and then you can also scrub harder instead of using a product. It says that uh, cost-cutting on staples is most pronounced among lower-income Americans. In part, that's because income groups that typically buy lower-priced household goods switched to pricier brands amid the pandemic as homebound consumers spent less on travel, dining out, and other perks. Uh, now budget-conscious budget conscious <laughs> consumers are returning to discount brands. Procter & Gamble, for instance, has reported gains in both pricing and volume sales since the start of 2019, meaning consumers bought greater quantities of items at higher prices. The Cincinnati-based maker of Tide and Pampers, and a ton of other things, cut discounts and shifted to higher-end products in an effort to boost revenue. Consumers are willing to pay more, a trend that accelerated during the pandemic when high demand led to product shortages of mainstays from paper towels to soap. But executives say they are prepared for a downturn in consumer spending, but have told Wall Street they believe consumers will continue to covet items like Tide laundry detergent pods, Gillette razors, and Pampers diapers, which are often the priciest option on store shelves. I don't know why they would make a prediction like that. Uh, maybe they just want to keep their stock uh, afloat at this point. Yeah. I, you know, uh, what I want to find is discount gas. <laughs> How do I get the discount gas, guys? Usually, that's the thing that's gone up like the most. Gas is more of a commodity. It's hard to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There isn't a Sam's Club in the area, which is one of the I hear, few. I hear Sam's Club does have like low, the lowest price on gas. Although I think there are different qualities of gas, so that might not mm. necessarily be the best move either. Mm. You I can't. know in Ann Arbor, Michigan, they they've got the uh, cheapest gas. My parents buy their gas there. Is that where um, they uh, refine it? Uh, no, it's just where my parents live, and they have a Sam's Club. Well, uh, so it's the last I time think, I was in contact. I think, with if I'm not club. mistaken, some of the cheaper gas tends to come from the places that have the shortest distance from the refineries. I know that's probably true. Jersey, yeah. except for when they taxes, uh, they tax more in certain areas. So that mm. that might not always be true. But like in New Jersey, for a long time, we had some of the when I lived there. Um, well. Yeah, uh, well, at some, certain think, points when I lived there, it had some of the cheapest gas in the country. I think Sam's Club uses it as a loss leader. To get people through the door? Yeah, and I think they also Except, have a right. deal with uh, Visa because they only accept Visa. They don't take cash oh, wow. for their gas, and they don't take MasterCard. They don't take cash? That's crazy. The only thing that would make, the yeah. other thing that would make most sense with that, actually, is actually a... Um, some sort of a uh, what is it a reward card where you have they to pay have with that. their own and then you have to write a check out to pay off the basically your so your uh, that's what i was going to suggest to you if you really are seriously looking for lowest price gases some of the manufacturers have their own debit card yeah and or credit card or whatever <laughs> well, and they will give a 10 cent per gallon right, discount right, right, right. to their own i, I have to holders. say while well, i'm half serious uh, the reality of me going somewhere else for gas is Basically zero, right? Because then you have <laughs> yeah. to go out of your way in some cases right, right. to actually and, get the price. That you're uh, unfortunately, for. my and ten be, cents a gallon yeah, really doesn't make a difference it. when the price is more than doubled. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I always felt that, like there was two things, right? Your your time is valuable, and you know if you're making decent money, it probably isn't worth going out of your way. But second, it also takes you know gas to get out of your, to go right. somewhere else out of your way. So 
Yeah, it's I don't know probably how much... a wash in most cases. Right, right, right. It's right. hard to calculate unless you have something on your car that actually tells you what miles per gallon you're it getting. It would be hard to calculate. It's difficult yeah. to tell whether it was even worth going where you went. Yeah, and even it's if not you factor out the time. Right, and you can't you can't take like the average because it's actually going to use more gas um, when you're driving around That's town right. than on on like a highway. So you can't even like base it really on that. So Kraft, which makes uh, huge amounts of things, including Oscar Mayer and Jell-O, is counting on price increases to help offset the effects of inflation this year, they said. <laughs> that's, that's such a weird statement. Like, price mm. increases are a symptom of inflation. It doesn't... Yeah. You're not going well, to save yourself from inflation. They're talking mm-hmm. about they're hoping that consumer price increases will uh, will offset the effect of the inflation that they've or the rising prices that they've already seen on the producer side. Correct. Uh, that's the only way they can do it. Yeah. The number is 603-283-6160. You can weigh in here in the remaining moments about buying habits changing under inflation. Talk live. You can join the show here. The number 603 283 6160. That's 603 283 6160. Here in the studio tonight, you've got Ian and Chris and nobody. Uh, also, don't forget you can join us online and uh, anytime over at freetalklive.com and join us hopefully in real life coming up in just a few months from now, the end of June. We are going to be at ForkFest, and I say we, and I mean Free Talk Live in some form is going to be there. I'm hoping to I'm attend. definitely being, uh, I've already got You're my definitely? two weeks reserved. Okay, good. Uh, yep. I know Ari is planning on being there as well. So we will have Free Talk Live at ForkFest, and we're also planning on being there for the Porcupine Freedom Festival, which is, as I understand it, officially more than sold out. Whether or not you can still get tickets, I don't know. Check out ForkFest.com for that. Uh, and go to ForkFest.party to learn about ForkFest, which is the decentralized uh, party that happens the week after the Porcupine Freedom Festival. ForkFest this year is June 27th through July 3rd, and you can attend by simply reserving your camping site, your RV site, or your motel room. They have three different options for you over at Rogers Campground, which is located in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. If you've never been there before, you don't want to miss Rogers Campground. It's an amazing location. The, the natural beauty is just absolutely fantastic, and you'll be surrounded by people that love freedom for as long as you want to stay. Again, the dates are uh, June 27th through July 3rd. There's no better way to celebrate Independence Day than being around other freedom-loving activists here in New Hampshire. It's a perfect excuse to come on mm-hmm. up, check out New Hampshire, find out if this thing is for real. We've been talking about it for years here on Free Talk Live, but you really need to see it and experience the community of people up here for yourself. If you can get to both festivals, I recommend them. Uh, otherwise, it's up to you You know how many days. you can. Sometimes some people do some days of Pork Fest and then some days of Fork Fest. Divvy it up however you want. Uh, but uh, again, no tickets for ForkFest because it is decentralized. And that means there's no one in charge. That also means there's no official itinerary. So if you want something to happen, you kind of got to make it happen. That's sort of who is uh, attracted to this event or the, the doers, the self-starters. So check it out. ForkFest.party. You can connect with other ForkFest attendees in the Telegram and Matrix chat rooms as well as the ForkFest forum. And that's ForkFest.party. 
We go to David in New Mexico. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, David. Yeah, I just wanted to point out a piece of what appears to be hypocrisy. I heard you discussing Madeleine Albright earlier in your program. Yeah. And how she, and she had stated that uh, killing 500, which is a, a fair number. 500,000. 500, oh, 500,000, yeah. And then there was a certain the number of children. Yeah. But it was 500,000. So if you take 6 million divided by 500,000, I guess that's only, you know, 8 to 10 percent of what uh, Hitler the Jews that Hitler killed, but I find it uh, an act of hypocrisy for Madeleine Albright to say that considering that she is Jewish, you would think that someone uh, who is of a demographic that uh, holds up the Holocaust as something so horrible would not make a statement that uh, killing half a million Iraqis... You know, this is, uh, a, this is a misconception mm-hmm. that only, like... I don't know, uh, you can only be racist or, or bigoted or whatever, you know, if you're like a white male or something. And that's just not the case. Right. But that's not what I'm, not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that the that, uh, different minorities can't be racist. What I'm saying is hypocrisy. Oh, what I'm yeah. putting out is- well, yeah. that's what I would expect from a government thug. It doesn't matter to yeah. me what their religious viewpoint is or where they were born. If they are in power, then I fully expect them to lord that power over the lives of innocent human beings. Yeah. Right. So I just wanted to point that out. Thanks, David, for the call tonight. Appreciate it. Uh, the number is 603-283-6160 if you want to join us here. Jonathan Weiss, final final thoughts here from the Wall Street Journal on people changing their habits Weiss Markets Incorporated's executive says shoppers are buying more items on sale in addition to purchasing less, and he sees an increase of 5 to 8% in overall food prices. As energy prices increase and consumers pay more to commute or heat their homes, people will shed their spending elsewhere, he said. Groceries is one of the first places they think about it, adding the company is trying to prepare for it by offering more store brands. And again, this is just the beginning the prices are going to keep going up. As gas prices go up, the price mm-hmm. of absolutely everything that goes onto a truck, yeah. which is almost everything, is going to go we, up. We've probably seen mm-hmm. nothing, you know, yet. We're at the beginning of this. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely in the beginning because, I mean, this a lot of this stuff takes a while before it you to know, reach you really, the market. really reach the market, yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, so get ready. And of course, you know, in our opinion, and I can't speak for everybody here, but I think we we would all agree that getting out of the dollar is a good way to get ready for whatever it is that's coming. And whether you want to get into investing in your own, you know, business or property, gold, silver, cryptocurrency, anytime you don't have something in the dollar, I think is probably a better bet. Of course, I'm not an investment advisor and you have to make your own decisions about how to spend your money. Uh, But if I were you... If I got a stimulus check or something like that, it sure as hell wouldn't be sitting in the dollars. That's a bad yeah. plan. It's a plan um, and, to fail. And, you know, it's interesting because your advice, humorously, a financial advisor, they're like, there's not a legal thing for that, apparently. Anybody can call themselves a financial advisor. Oh, is that right? I, I didn't know this. But I yeah. didn't know that either. Um, yeah. So, and d- people from different backgrounds can call themselves a financial advisor and like, it, yeah. But um, hmm. yeah, it's um, the financial people, people who do have financial knowledge um they always advise you to invest in stuff that's gonna make you money because if you if you invest and i put this in quotes in dollars other than people who trade you know currencies Mm -hmm. um you're gonna lose money (laughs) 
Guaranteed. Yeah, guaranteed. <laughs> so, you know, the smart... That's what it's designed to do. Yeah, the smart thing to do is invest in something, whether it's cryptocurrency or it's something else. I tend not to be a fan of telling people to invest in cryptocurrency specifically, but that doesn't mean it's not a, uh, a good idea. It just means that... Um, well, historically, yeah. Bitcoin well, specifically right, has exactly. been the number one, As I, if I'm not, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, the number one investment in the last decade. Yeah, probably all of human history, but <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, now there's no guarantee it's going to continue. Well, and this is this is the thing. This is why you diversify your assets. So mm-hmm. Bitcoin might be a risky asset, probably not it's if you're gonna hold risky. it for a while, but or not as risky if you're gonna hold it for a while. But um if you diversify your asset, it's not gonna be likely that you're gonna be as negatively impacted. Um and by negatively impacted, it's probably gonna really still be in the positive direction anyway. Mm-hmm. So you know, unless you're maybe older at retirement age, it's probably a good way to go to put something into crypto. Mm-hmm. Tend to agree. Now, of course, which cryptos is ultimately the big Ooh. question. <laughs> and that's the thing where it's like, yeah, that's hard, how that's hard do you to tell. choose? I, I mean, honestly, it seems like Bitcoin. I mean, it's such a weird thing. Well, I mean. Such a weird thing, but like right now, it still seems like Bitcoin's kind of kind of the way. Bitcoin's the king. Bitcoin right now, is the name has I the don't name know recognition. If but- that's gonna stay, mm-hmm. but I think what we I think for something else to take off, it needs to have some utility value and utility that Bitcoin doesn't have. And we have things like Bitcoin Cash, but most people aren't unfortunately spending cryptocurrencies. Nope, that's you know, right. So they're not really. Using they're not it. being encouraged right. to. Well, and- cryptocurrency has a lot more. Or I'm sorry. Uh, Bitcoin Cash does have a lot more utility than Bitcoin in that, um, you know, the fees are much lower. Yeah. So it takes absolutely a lot less Bitcoin Cash to to buy this, um, to buy the same thing. Correct. I, I think I think what we're talking about though is increasing in value. Um, is key, and I don't necessarily know that right now without more people using cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. you know, as a currency, that value is there. But um, I think in time, if we look at something like maybe Monero, which I don't think there there, there are the tools don't exist for merchants to take it easily, unfortunately, no. and that's the biggest thing holding Monero back. But Monero has a huge um, uh, utility over Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. I think in the privacy aspect. From a privacy aspect. And so, you know, that might be, you know, it might not be the perfect time to invest, but maybe it is in some sense if those tools are coming. Well, that's the problem is the cryptocurrency world doesn't value spending for the most part. Right now. Most right. Right now. now. Most people that are getting into it, they say, oh, well, I'm just here to make some money. They want to see the number go up. And then they want to sell it and get more dollars out of it. Um, and, you know, mm. it's kind of that's kind of the unfortunate situation right now. But um, that's just something you have to change right. in the culture. Looking looking from a you know a little bit more positive uh, perspective, it is increasing, right? Like the usage is increasing, the number of places you can spend it at is increasing. You know, and we have uh, yeah, it's kind of something we're going to be repeating for decades to come, probably. But it's still in its infancy. You know, yeah. credit cards took forty years to see. Pretty widespread acceptance, right. and then it still wasn't universal. It's still actually not universal today. So what we need though to to speed this process up because the faster this can come about, the better off we're all going to be. Absolutely, is to have crypto liberty minded people move to New Hampshire. If you're in the United States, that's a great place to go because there's no better place for spending crypto than you know, Keene. Of course, is the capital. Portsmouth is probably the second best. Uh, but either way, the community here is just more than welcome, uh, welcoming to accept alternatives like cryptocurrency. And then the more people that we have that are willing to spend it, the greater the crypto economy, the greater the value of it, the more businesses will take it. We'll see you tomorrow. Free Talk Live.